0: Hello, friends, and welcome to episode 420 of the Juicebox podcast. Today is another episode about the do-it-yourself algorithm called Loop. If you've been following along in this series... It began back in April of 2019 with episode 227, and that one's called Diabetes Concierge. Then I spoke about Loop again in August of 2019 in episode 252, A Loopy Few Months. February 10th, 2020, episode 304, A Loop De Loop. And then in March of 2020, we had a two-parter, number 312 and 313, Fox in the Loop House, parts one and two. And that Fox we're talking about is Kenny Fox, a gentleman has been on the show a couple of times and who you may know. I really like Kenny because he understands the loop and he talks about it in a way that I dig on. So I asked Kenny to come back because I think I've made some big improvements with how I think about loop and I wanted to check in with Kenny. With all of that considered, this is episode 420, Fox in the Loop House. Part three, please remember while you're listening that nothing you hear on the juice box podcast should be considered advice, medical or otherwise. Please always consult a physician before making any changes to your health care plan or becoming bold with loop. This show is sponsored today by the glucagon that my daughter carries, GVOC Hypopen. Find out more at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. Have you ever wondered if that blood glucose meter that you're using is accurate? Well, it might not be. But I can tell you for certain that we love the Contour Next One blood glucose meter for exactly that reason its accuracy. I also love its bright light for nighttime checks, how easy it is to use and carry, and of course, those second chance test strips. Check it out at contournext.com forward slash juicebox. And if you're a U.S. resident living with type 1 or caring for someone with type 1 diabetes, please consider supporting the T1D exchange by going to t1dexchange.org forward slash juicebox and joining the registry. You too can help T1D research. All these links are at juiceboxpodcast.com or right there in the show notes of your podcast player. Let's get to Kenny right now. I'm just going to cut the music off and start. No messing around. I'm recording. Let me start the recording. All right. Um, last night, I, I ordered a new mic for the house here because finally... After what feels like about two years, Arden's like, okay, I'm going to come on the podcast. And I was like, oh, hey. finally, jeez!" <laughs> so um, I said, well, I'm going to get another microphone. I was like, so if I buy this microphone, that's it. You're definitely doing this, right? Because she's vacillated a great deal. I don't know if she's embarrassed or she's afraid of what she thinks she's going to say. I have no idea. I was like, I don't care what you say. You can say whatever you want. You know, I'm like, I just want to chat with you a little bit. And then I want to talk about, you know what you've learned so far about diabetes and what you think you still need to know. And we'll go over some stuff. I was like, that's all. I just want to talk. She's like, okay, all right, I'm going to do it. But I think she's planning on using it as a, um, they have to do a certain amount of, um, Oh my God, why can I not think of a very simple word? If you send somebody out into the world to do a nice thing, uh, and in exchange for that, you get hours to put community in service community service or something. community service hours. They have to have a certain amount of community service hours to get it done uh to get to graduate. So she's like, "Do you think that would be community service?" I said, "Ask your, you know, ask your counselor." The counselor's like it would definitely be. So I was like, "All right. Nice. Cool. Nice." Anyway, Kenny, you're back. I am back. It feels like it's been a minute since you've been here. Um <laughs> but that is sometimes on purpose. I feel like I could talk to you every month and it would be valuable. Uh, but, um, your last two episodes, the, uh, the Fox and the loop house episodes have been very popular. People tell me about them a lot and I've grown in my understanding of the loop and how I use it. And I know you have. So I thought end of the year would be a great time to have you back. So thanks very much. Yeah. I appreciate it. I think we should probably start. Do you agree with the beginning of the pandemic? Is, yeah. that, is that a good place to start? It is. All right. So I was um, perplexed by Arden's blood sugars for about three or four days, and I was feeding her insulin almost constantly, and not a little bit, a lot. It was bad. And I don't know, you know, for all the things I say on the podcast and the things I mean and the things I usually do, I should have just turned her insulin back, but instead I just kept thinking you know, something odd happened or this was going to be momentary. And finally, like two, three days into it, I realized that the, you know, stressors of being at school and getting up and going to school and all the things that come with leaving the house disappeared for Arden. Like she's more comfortable in our home on a laptop talking to her teacher And maybe comfortable is not even the word. I'll have to ask her when she comes on the show. She might not even be aware of it, right? But there's just not that adrenaline, I guess, from being up and being moving and having to run from class to class. And it turned out that Arden's insulin needs, at least at her basal level, had significantly dropped because she wasn't at school. And I was in the middle of trying to figure it out. And you just kind of messaged me. I don't know. We were just talking I guess about something. And I mentioned that this was happening and you're like, Hey, I'll, I'll, I'll lend a hand if you want. I was like, Hey, okay, sure. Sounds good. Uh, it's one of the perks to have in my podcast. Can <laughs> right? <laughs> you are literally one of the perks of my podcast, uh, for me personally and for everyone listening. And, uh, so we looked at it for a while and you said, let's try. And what did you want to try?
1: Uh, we tried cutting basil. We was looking at just your night scout graph and it looked like you had a lot of negative negative, what shows a night scout as negative IOB uh, insulin on board overnight, especially, but like you to see Arden's blood sugar was dropping, but it wasn't just dropping with positive insulin. It was dropping with negative. So loop thought, Hey, you, based on the basal rates you have in here, we should have taken away enough insulin that she should be going up and she wasn't. So that was kind of an easy indicator that, Basil was too much, and so we ended up cutting it back. I think at the from where you had it in the daytime, like for handling that school stress, was uh, I I was almost in half. It was a lot. It was like thirty or forty percent. Yeah. And then I think I just also happened to coincide with a because you know Arden loves that we talk about this um, her cycle where she needed less insulin too. So it kind of compounded the the effect of having basil too high very temporarily, yeah. but we cut it back quite a bit.
0: See, Kenny's not a storyteller. He took he told the end at the beginning, but that's fine. We'll get back <laughs> to that part. So um, first, I want to ask you to describe negative insulin on board for loop, but how people could think about that as well away from loop.
1: Yeah. So basil, if you think of basil as like we've talked about before, just meeting the body's need for insulin, like just normal sugar production. Um, if you can find that spot where you're just matching the body's insulin needs, um, then you should be fairly level. And that would be a situation like overnight, you have zero insulin on board. Insulin on board would be any insulin above, or in the case of negative insulin on board, below the basal needs of your body. So it's any extra or in loop's case, uh, less. So what that means is, in an order, like if you didn't have any food or anything, stress or whatever, trying to raise your blood sugar, then most of the time when you have positive insulin on board, you give a bolus, or the system increases. Loop gives more insulin. You should expect at some point your blood sugar to come down, um, and then once you hit zero insulin on board, you've kind of reached that stasis level where you've, your body's insulin needs are being met with the amount of insulin in your in your body delivered in the background as basal so that should be level your blood sugar should mostly level out negative insulin on board would mean that this that you've reduced how much like you're not meeting the body's need for insulin at some point often because like in loop's case they've it's reduced the basal rate it's picked something lower than your scheduled normal need for insulin to the point where um you have less in your body than what you should need to keep you level. And if all that's right, if your basal rates are right, what should correspond with that negative insulin on board is your blood sugar will start to rise because you don't have enough. Sometimes it happens right away. Sometimes there's a little bit of a delay. Uh, Maybe you're exercising or something. And once you slow down, it kind of catches up with you. But the idea is that if you have negative insulin on board, your blood sugar should go up. Mm -hmm. And that uh, for like a normal pumping situation, just like using the PDM, for example, if you're waking, if you have really good basal and you're flat overnight and in the morning you wake up, but let's say you want to be a little bit higher before you give a nice big bolus for a bowl of cereal or something in an hour, you could turn your basal rate down. You could do a temp basal of zero, for example, for an hour. Well, that w- should make your blood sugar drift up because you're, you've turned off the basal. You've cut it off. You don't have enough in your body. And it's not enough to just let it turn back on to level you out. Once that temp basal of zero is, is off, you actually need to give the insulin you're missing for that last hour, um, to level it out. So in that situation, you would have a negative insulin on board situation, even though you're not looping, you might not call it that, but you'd kind of need to give that last hour of basal plus whatever you're, you know, that would level you out. And then you're going to need to give the insulin you need for your food. Um, and Loop's just tracking all of that for you by modulating the basal rates up and down.
0: And so if we had Arden settings correct, when she was showing negative insulin, there's mm-hmm. just no way she should be falling, her blood sugar. It should at least be stable and most likely rising. Correct. Yeah. Okay. Yeah. Yep. So that's a nice
1: objective way. It's one of the few objective Things in diabetes, it seems like, and Loop helps extrapolate that. Is like, oh, my, our basal is wrong, and there are a couple situations where that might not be the case. Like if you're, you know, laying on a sensor at night and it's dropping because of a compression, but um, uh, or maybe even exercising, it might not drift up as fast as you'd think. Mm-hmm. Um, but other than that, like it really should be, you should really see up when you see a negative insulin board. But at a minimum. Yeah, a little bit of a, of a levelness as you shouldn't be dropping anymore, and so it's nice. It's like, okay, that's that means basal somewhere is too strong. So if you have multiple rates, then um, you might have to look in the last, you know, five or six hours. Insulin lasts six hours, so you might want to need to look at your basal rates in the last four to six hours and try to figure out which one's the culprit. You know, how how bad is it? How fast are you dropping?
0: I have to say that this whole concept has for me raised my understanding of insulin significantly. And, and I a hundred percent have to thank first the loop, you know, algorithm, because I began to see these things as soon as Arden went to loop. And you, if you go back in the podcast, you've definitely heard me talk about how fascinating I found it to watch the loop, take away basil, to give it back, you know, to, to sort of, it was like a self-driving car you know it was seeing the it was seeing the road curve a little down or a little up and it was just going with it um and it was and it was not just going with it but it felt like it had a it felt like it had a crystal ball you, you, you know like it was like well i'm going to give her more now but her number really had only moved a little bit you know her blood sugar goes from 85 to 89 and all of a sudden her basal goes up a little bit and you're like, well, it's not even a rise. And it can be scary at first because you think, no, don't give more. She's only 89. But it it knows. and you know, And it knows based on what it's done in the past and what the expectation is based on the setting you put in. And I think this is important for people, if they're going to use an algorithm or not, to really understand basal insulin in a different way and not just how much basal insulin do you need. Oh, I use 20 units a day. That you know I, I inject basal insulin I use 20, 20 units a day or I have a pump and my basal is 0.5 an hour, but it's a uh, 0.4 an hour overnight and and that's it that that is I now understand that that in itself is such a rudimentary way of thinking about basal insulin. You really have to step back and believe that in every moment of your life, your basal insulin needs are slightly different. They might almost be imperceivably different, but they're constantly fluctuating somehow. Now sometimes they get real super stable, you know, when you're sleeping or, you know, you just haven't had a lot of activity. There's no food in you, no, no insulin in you. But the truth is, is that the needs change almost constantly. And you can see that because the algorithm is like, ooh, more or less, more or less. It's not something you could ever duplicate with your, you know, with your hands and your eyes, it would just be, it would be your entire life. You know, you'd have to sit there and stare forever and and you still wouldn't know the things you needed to know to make the decisions in a timely way. You could kind of catch them, um, but it would never be out ahead like this is. So I I don't really know another way to say that for the people listening, but you have to get it out of your head that your basal is definitely 0.5 or it's definitely a unit. Because it very well may not be. And then you can extrapolate that idea to when you have food in your system. And I just did this last night because Arden had a cheeseburger and French fries from Five Guys. And I crushed it with a good bolus up front. My Her first two and a half hours after the food. I think there was a milkshake in there too, by the way, Kenny. Uh, actually, double bacon cheeseburger, barbecue sauce, Cajun fries, and a milkshake with Oreo cream and Oreo cookies. Uh, the crumble part. So I crushed it the first two and a half hours. And then she got into this 130 space that was trying to go up. I tell you if I did nothing, her blood sugar could have easily been 300. But I kept adding carbs. And this is still where I have a shortcoming. I need to figure out a way to translate fat and protein into a number a carb number um, That's still something I, I'm trying to figure out But I yeah, just And that's that's go. important Because
1: Loop is expecting So it like kind of I don't know, it sees in carbs mm-hmm. I like guess how it understands the world
0: <laughs> Yeah,
1: It understands your blood sugar movement uh, Based on carbs So yeah, tr- figuring a way and, and it changes I think for everyone And, and even meal to meal It's a little bit of a Maybe there's an exact science to it But we've kind of settled on 25% or so of all the fat grams and the protein grams. So if you had like a nutrition label, I would like take that, add it all up, divide by four and add that as some extra carbs into the carb entry. And and usually if you're adding in fat and protein, you'd either want to do like a four hour entry to mix all those carbs together. So that way the, cause the fat and protein is going to hang out a mm-hmm. while. So use the pizza icon to make it longer or you can do kind of what you ended up doing in reaction last night, which is you could take kind of that fat protein representation and entering the carbs, but you could do it ahead of time. You could enter, change the time on the entry and put it out in the future by like an hour and a half or two hours where you think that fat and protein is going to kind of show its head. And so you could you could put that number out uh, out ahead of you. And then as she starts to come up, Loop will see, oh, I have carbs coming. I can – go ahead and give more insulin, um, ahead of time, but you ended up doing it reactively, which is, you know, sometimes that happens. We yeah. get that with quesadillas. I notoriously, um, underestimate the delayed impact of the cheese in a quesadilla. So I, I try to add more up front. but oftentimes it's just like, Oh, she's going up. So then I just add some carbs and, and bolus. And then I wouldn't call those fake carbs. It's, it's how a loop sees everything. You can't call it fat and protein, um, and so it legitimately needs to be handled with some representation of carbs. So I think, I think what you did was, was perfect. I mean, you probably
0: could have added more, but that's, I that's didn't really do hard. enough because I ended yeah. up fighting with it for an hour or so, where she was kind of that 150, 160 back to 150, where I could see the, the bolus pushing her down, but it wasn't winning the fight to bring her back to normal. And the fat and the protein still existed. And so yeah. you're, you're telling me just for, for just to make a round number. If I thought if I could count a hundred grams of fat and protein in a meal, I take 25, I divide it by four, make it 25 and tell the loop there's 25 carbs during the fat and protein rise. And that probably would have done it for me.
1: Yeah. Something like that okay. would be, you and know, a good, I some people use, like I used to use 50% of protein and 30% of fat. I, you know, but I think, Like 25% is a good start if people find that their carb ratio works well with basic carbs. And then when they add the fat and protein, things get out of whack and 25% isn't enough then try 30, you know, like whatever it is or do more for protein. But yeah, find a balance, some number that represents that as best you can. 25% is just a good starting point. Just add it all up and divide it by four and And add it in there.
0: So this meal's like, mind-numbing to people, because I think it was, like, 85 carbs I put in for the food, mm-hmm. right? And so you're telling me that I could have said 85 carbs now, you know, let's say noon, mm-hmm. and then I could have let that pump in and then told it 25 carbs for the fat and protein, but given it a time of 2.30 Like, p. 2 o'clock m. or, or 2.30, two yeah. right? And it would not have given her the insulin, but at 230, if she would have rose, it would have got more aggressive. So you would look at the,
1: it's best to experiment with this at home um, rather than sending a kid to school and trying it for the first time. But um, you'll see the prediction will adjust. It'll, it'll see a rise coming. And so it will sometimes or usually offer insulin up front. I usually don't take it. I say, I just don't bolus after I enter that future Carb entry, yeah. um, and then I let Loop kind of spread it out over time. Because then, if, as soon as your blood sugar starts to dip a little, it'll pull basil back. And then, when it starts to come up, usually corresponding with that rise that you're expecting, then it'll start. It'll start giving insulin right away. So it won't. It will give insulin before the two thirty mark that you entered it, if the prediction allows it. If it says you're going to be high enough and not go underneath your suspend or whatever. Um, you can do that. Sometimes what people have to do for certain longer meals, like maybe a pasta or something that doesn't have as many carbs up front, um, you may it may be safer to use an override. We've talked about overrides before, mm-hmm. um, that is a hundred percent insulin needs, it doesn't change anything around your insulin needs, but it just has a higher correction range, like maybe like I think yours is like 85, 90, 95, somewhere in there. Less than 100. Maybe you would have a correction range. Then you could set an override that would have a range of 95 to 105. Maybe a little bit higher than normal for like an hour or two. And you could turn that on. And what that would do is Loop wouldn't would be would not be giving you extra insulin for that future rise until your blood sugar came up high enough um, into that range. So instead of at 85 or 90. It would have to wait until your blood sugar was into or above that range of 95, let's say, mm-hmm. before it gave extra insulin. So, sometimes you're like, well, it's hard to model how you think every meal is going to go. So, sometimes you just need Loop to chill out in the middle, right, the first couple hours. Yeah. So, raising that correction range for an hour, Loop can't give more insulin until your blood sugar's into that range. So, you might just want to wait. You might want to wait it out. Like, I, we do that with pasta, Pasta is just, I don't know, depends on the pasta. Sometimes it hits right away. Most of the time it waits. It seems like it's almost free for a few hours uh, in my daughter. So we'll set a higher correction range, but I still want to have all the carbs entered because they will show up. It just might show up later. So the same with fat and protein, you might, it might be safer to just kind of add that buffer for an hour okay. if you're worried about a low coming. So, and the other way you could enter it would be either that like at two 30 or you could have put you know the 85 plus the 25 all into one entry and just made it uh, have an absorption time of 4 or even 5 hours and so that would naturally give less it wouldn't give the insulin for all 100 carbs or 105 carbs up front um I guess it'd be a little more than that, but you know, it wouldn't give all the insulin up front cause it would expect it to be spread out a little mm-hmm. more. Mm-hmm. So either, either way is fine. Whatever people find easiest or most representative of the food, I think for like the meal you're talking about having it separated would be good. I, I always separate the carbs from the fat and protein and make a future entry for donuts from a donut shop. Yeah. Cause if I give it all up front, she'll drop like a stone in the beginning But there's always a rise like 90 minutes later. Um, So not that we we have donuts a lot. So,
0: you know, (laughs) (laughs) I like what Um, you said at the beginning of this, whereas when I was talking about putting in the twenty five and telling it two and a half hours later, you said do that, but then don't give any insulin that it suggests for it, which is basically like giving the loop, walking around money that it can spend wherever it wants to. Exactly. Yeah, yeah. You get to let the blood sugar play out a little bit before loop gives
1: too much insulin. Like it's cause it's going to use the trending information. If she started, if Arden started dropping a couple of points, um, a couple of readings right after you gave the 80, 87 carbs for the meal, um, it, it would be, it wouldn't give as much insulin or it may not give any extra until she starts trending back up again. Um, for those extra 25 carbs we talked about.
0: And let me ask if I do that, if I say, Hey, 25 more carbs, uh, not till 2.30, it says, I don't know, let's say it says, that's six units, and I say, no, no, zero, don't put anything in. Mm-hmm. If, if 2.30 comes, and for some reason I was wrong about that need, and her blood sugar never goes up, it doesn't give her the insulin? Uh, so even five minutes after
1: you said no, Loop's going to check the prediction. If the prediction still says she needs, maybe she starts dropping the next reading, and so it says, okay, well, instead of six units, she probably needs two. Um, it will give, it won't give the, the two, but it'll give as much of the two as it can, right? So in the case of like normal loop with temp basals, it'll kick up the temp basal rate and it'll start trying to give that two. And then if she drops again in the next five minutes, it'll probably say, oh, never mind, and cut it back to trying to give one. So then that basal rate will shift down. In the case of auto bolus, it would give whatever percentage you're you're letting it. So you know maybe it'll give half if you have it set at fifty percent. So if she needed six units. In the next five minutes, if it still thought she needed six units, it would give her three units, which is why I suggested increasing the correction range because sometimes sometimes you need it to play out a little bit. Right. So, um, But typically, if you're putting it out two and a half hours, there's usually kind of a dip in the middle um, in the prediction that will be low enough that it will restrict Loop from giving too much. But that's why it's an, an experiment based on the food. I think yeah. in the case of... Of your meal last night, I think yeah maybe it would have given a little bit more insulin um, up front if you said hey don't bolus for it. It still would have given some decent deliveries, but it wouldn't have been a ton. And she didn't drop, so she probably wouldn't have dropped very much either. Probably would have been timed just enough to kind of catch that rise that was coming.
0: Yeah, actually, as we're talking about this, I realize this is a um, a similar way to how I handle pre bolusing meals when her blood sugar is lower. Mm -hmm. So if Arden's blood sugar is like 65 and we're eating in 20 minutes, but she's not dropping, we don't, you know, she doesn't do anything about that. She just waits to eat, but we still want to get some insulin going. And so sometimes you'll tell the loop part of it. Yeah. Right. You tell the loop, Hey, like this meal is going to be 10 carbs. It's going to be 25 carbs. And it, you know, I guess for Arden, let me just use a round number for you. Um, if say it's a 10 carb meal, it would probably want, I don't know. Arden gets a unit per four carbs so it would probably want like two and a half or so units but i don't want her to have the whole two and a half it doesn't matter because it it'll, it's not going to want her to have any because yeah. because she's under the number so what i usually tell her to do is even though it says zero go ahead and bolus a unit like you put manually insert a unit but yep. there are times do, when i forget all to, the time yeah there but there are times when you forget to look back but it doesn't matter because as soon as she pumps hits eighty five, it puts the rest of it in for me.
1: Correct, because that's yeah. where your correction range starts. Yes, and so now it's has the green light. As long as the the rest of the prediction, as well as her current blood sugar, is all above her correction range of eighty five plus, then it's like, all right, I'm I'm allowed to give insulin, and I know you need some, so here it goes. And that's why correction range is an interesting one. And I didn't took me a long time to realize that's what it was doing so there are some people who maybe uh, usually they have little ones they may set the correction range up at 120 um, so then they start a meal at 75 and it loop won't give insulin for you until their blood sugar is going to be up to 120 so that can sometimes be a long amount of time for the food to really get ahead of the insulin so then they get upset so they end up high later But what you're watching is that there's just a bigger space for you to kind of see this happening where your blood sugar is at 75, but Loop can't give more until you're over 120. mm -hmm. And so um, that's the correction range in effect. And that's, it's not just where Loop is aiming to put you, it's also a restriction on when and how it can give insulin.
0: Yeah, you basically gave the momentum away.
1: Yeah. In that, in that case you did because it's so much higher, but you also get to see that that's why sometimes bumping up the correction range with an override um, is useful is maybe you, you want that to happen. Or maybe in the case of someone with a blood sugar or a a child with a correction range of 120, they may want to have temporarily have a lower um, correction range at the beginning of a meal. They might want to just set it, you know to like 90 or something for an hour Uh, and then and then once she once that person crosses 90 then loop can start giving the insulin so you're getting a a little bit ahead of it that way Mm -hmm. or do what you did which which we do too is just we know a little bit better than loop loop's really concerned about that suspend like don't don't give any insulin if they're too low but we know they're eating, so it's fine. Just give a little bit of insulin anyways manually. Yeah. That way you're not totally behind
0: when <laughs> to the food kicks in. To so. me to me, that's just the loop version of how did I used to talk about it? Um So you're basically you're you know she's sixty five in this scenario. You know she's <laughs> not falling, you still need the pre bolus. So you just you know, you just override the pump and do it anyway. You're just like, okay.
1: Like- yeah, the pump's not going to suggest it either, right? If you right. can't the blood sugar in there, it's going to yeah. say, nope, zero. But then you have to remember to come back and give it. And the beauty with loop is you told loop about the carbs. Right. It's expecting the rise. And so when it shows up, it will take action. But it takes action based on what it knows, mm-hmm. the carbs, and also – and basil and everything else. But also the correction range, when it can engage. So – um and That's, that's al- another restriction. Yeah.
0: That's also a situation where I trade a lot of the pre-bolus time for the number. So if mm-hmm. she's 65, I, st- I don't need like a 15 or 20-minute pre-bolus anymore because the 65 is the pre-bolus, meaning if I was going to put the insulin in at 5 p.m. and I didn't expect it to start working until 5.15 and she was going to eat at 5.20 or 5.25 and her blood sugar was 100 well, then I like that because then by 5:15 her blood sugar's moving a little bit. She's 98. you can tell it's getting ready to kind of it's drifting down. By the time she puts the food in her mouth, maybe she's 95 and the insulin's really coming on board. So that's where a yeah. nice pre-bolus works because her blood sugar help uh, is helping by being hundred. But if her blood sugar is 65, you can almost push the button five minutes before you eat. and that way the food goes in turns the 65 into a 75, 85, 95, right as the insulin comes on board, then you start the fight around there. It's all about where you're starting the fight between the insulin and carbs.
1: And and loop is very sensitive to where that fight happens. I think that's kind of the most frustrating thing for people when they start looping is two things. One, the fat and protein, you really have to accommodate for that in loop. Um, If you don't want to be really angry with loop and being high, especially when you're listening to this podcast, and you're used to, you know, correcting if you need to, but keeping things in line um, and loops recommendations can often be a little light up front if you're on the lower end of the spectrum. Yeah. Um, and so it's going to give insulin later, but then that fight might happen at a higher number. In this case, you wanted it to, but in other cases it won't. And then once that battle happens, it loops usually pretty happy with it because it's waiting for the entire meal to resolve over the next few hours it's not in any hurry to bump it down um and so it just happens whereas if you with you can do this with loop or with the pdm or mdi either way um it's easier with with loop you can give a little bit of a manual bolus if that fight that tug of war is happening at 160 and you would prefer it to be a little lower or you see it starting to get up there if the earlier you can catch it the better right yeah you can give a little bit of insulin loops going to disagree with you and not recommend anything. So in return, it will cut the basil back. It'll, it'll turn the basil either off or lower after you manually bolus, but that's okay because you're, you're wanting to kind of reset the fight. You're wanting to kind of push it back down a little bit. And by loop cutting basil, it should prevent the low that would happen later from all that extra insulin you gave that you're usually not patient enough to wait for anyways. Um, So, yeah, it it can, it helps balance it. But where that fight happens, loop's usually fairly content with just letting it resolve because eventually, according to what it knows, you'll be back in range. But we would prefer to have the most of the meal at a number that's a little bit lower sometimes. So,
0: yeah, it's just, it's about how, it's all about the timing. Um, Do you imagine that in the beginning when people start using the loop, and it happened to me as well, where if I'm not considering, protein and fat and later rises or i've got my settings wrong and then i try to do that thing where i come back and i try to fake carb i'm like oh tell it she had 10 more carbs and then it takes away the basil because it's trying to do its thing now it believes these 10 carbs are going in and you keep going up and up that frustration really does come from i think i i got it through not con not specifically understanding how the algorithm was working and what it was trying to accomplish, and that I just couldn't imagine it. I couldn't break free from my 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 knowledge of how it worked when I was pumping and that if I gave extra insulin, I still had the basal. And, mm-hmm. you know, so I think that now that I understand better, I don't run into that as often. I think I'm incredibly good at using Loop now. But Yeah, I mean, your last few weeks have been great. Yeah, I just... I've, you know, and it's interesting you say that because maybe two or so weeks ago Arden started using a birth control pill to regulate her periods. So she's getting this very low dose of uh estrogen, I guess, or hormones. I think I'm right when I say estrogen. Look estrogen probably. Yeah. yeah, look at me. Um and it did increase her need, so Arden's basal need went from like 0. 0.9 to 1.5 to yeah. co- combat the pill. But her meal ratio didn't change, and her correction ratio didn't change. It the insulin sensitivity actually. Excuse me, I did have to make it slightly stronger. Maybe it yeah, would, not a lot though. You um, moved it a few points. Yeah, from like forty three to forty or something like that. Mm-hmm. If I'm remembering correctly, it um, yeah. took me about two days to figure it out after the pill had kicked in. So the first couple of days were wonky. Then about day three and four of the pill, I could really like make the adjustments, and I think by day five I had it.
1: Yeah, I mean, I think a lot of the challenge people have with it at the beginning is their basils are often wrong. Um, like we've talked about before, I, I prefer the idea of at least starting with a single basal rate so that it's easy for you to see at least at the lowest parts of the day where that negative insulin on board might show up or you may have the basal off or maybe mm-hmm. it's too strong. Um, I do find that that number... Of basil, typically for most people, does apply all day. Like it's, it's kind of a, I call it a floor. Like a, I don't know, like a metabolic metabolic floor. Where if you give, no matter what, you should see blood sugar stop falling when you hit zero insulin on board or negative um, at pretty much every hour of the day. But there are situations where you would need more than one. But if you start with one, tune to that like weakest part of the day. And then you know that you're pretty close. Typically, secondary basal rates are not that far off from the main one that you find. Mm-hmm. And then at least that gets you in the ballpark. And now, what, like, like what we found with Arden when we started at the beginning of the pandemic, is after pulling away that stress that you were trying to combat, you were actually combating that stress and other stuff with basal. So, her carb ratio ended up being was almost half of what you had it. And that's actually not uncommon from what I see with those with teens is the, not in your case necessarily, but a lot of people are too afraid of, or just can't fathom that their kid went from a 10 or 12 to one carb ratio. And a couple years later, they're down to like a four or five, six to one yeah. carb ratio. So instead they increase the basil. And then when you get to loop, you find that the basil is a little bit too weak for part of the meals and then it causes lows later because your basil is too strong and um, you're you're definitely not winning with loop because it's expecting to see carbs and you're not mashing it with the appropriate amount of insulin and the settings are off and yeah. all this stuff goes on that's so yeah. yeah that's a big problem yeah
0: I end up saying that to people privately all the time because they'll first they come and they're the telltale is always a real jagged graph. Real high, yes. real low, real high, real low. Not I- enough insulin with
1: the beginning of the meal and then too much at the end with yeah. the basil being too high. Right. Yeah.
0: And then so you just say, look, this is either it's going to I always say we're going to start with your basil. Uh, we're going to find out if it's too high or it's too low. And I just ask this simple fishing question, like, do you find yourself feeding insulin more frequently or bolusing for highs more frequently? Because I can't be there and I can't just sit and watch it forever. Right. So if they find themselves feeding lows, I go, OK. And that to me says, you know, maybe the basil's too high. And if it's, we're always bolusing, I go, oh, maybe the basil's too low. And we just start there. And then I just, I take the person's weight and it gives me an average understanding of about where their basil is going to fall for most people. Some people don't correlate to their weight at all, but I find that many people do around 0.1 per 10 pounds. Mm-hmm. Um, but then once you get over a unit, that seems to not Play out exactly yeah, the same, anymore, right? And so, but again, there's nothing scientific about that. It's just just I've seen experience a, I've seen a lot of people's graphs, right? <laughs> yeah. So you know, you, you my kid weighs 50 pounds. You know, they're not in you know puberty yet. All right, so you've got their basal at 0.15, probably not enough. So let's try 0.3. And then you see it get a little better, and I keep moving it up. We'll go 0.4. You know, maybe 0.45. Now this looks pretty stable. Okay, now we have some stability at a lower number. Let's look at how long you're pre-bolusing. A lot of people like to say they pre-bolus, but then they always say, you know when I can. And I'm like, yeah. That means not that often. That's what that means. <laughs> and so I'm like, well, we're definitely going to pre-bolus now. Let's or five minutes. Yeah, let's start at uh, 15 minutes. Now, you need to remember, we just took your basal from 0.15 to 0.45, Your meal ratios are probably going to be lower, uh, you know, weaker than you think. So if you're doing 1 to 10, it might end up being, I don't know, 1 to 12 or 13 Mm -hmm. to 14. I don't know. We're going to find out, you know. So pick a meal that you're really good at bolusing at and, you know, let's cut it back a little bit. Cut it back a little bit. Now we get the bolus right. They don't jump up. They don't have to correct later. The corrections don't cause lows and they stay off that whole roller coaster and that's it. Like I'm, there are times that I help somebody and when it's over, like, you know, it's like two or three days later and you've talked to them a handful of times for a couple of minutes and they're like, look at this graph. There are times where I act like, yeah, that's great. You did a great job. Isn't this wonderful? And when I hang up the phone, I think, I can't believe I did that. Like, <laughs> I have a lot of those conversations <laughs> with my wife is, you got you to come look at this.
1: And I just reply back, oh yeah, good job. And then, yeah. um, I see what I just did and like. 24 hours or 48 hours. That's pretty cool. It's it's really important that people understand that when your settings are off, that when you're, if like your meals are like mediocre, they're okay-ish, but you're, you know, low late or high early, whatever, but generally not too bad. Then when you Mm -hmm. increase basil or decrease it, you got to trade it with the carb ratio. You do often flip those up and down in reverse of each other. So it's important to, as long as you're in a, pretty decent spot of control most of the time. It's really important that they remember that. So if they find that looking at negative insulin on board or learning to excuse me track the IOB overnight in loop because you have so much more data than just a, a graph to look at and you figure out what your basal is, and I can do that with a fair amount of precision. If you're running a single basal rate, it's pretty easy for me to figure out how much higher or lower you need to be based on the exact amount of insulin on board that happens in those waves overnight. Yeah. Um, you, you, just, once you make that change, so you don't have a, so much struggle the rest of the day, you got to make sure you're adjusting your carb ratio after you're like, Oh, look, I found my basal rate. Um, you got to make sure you change your carb ratios or you're going to be fighting highs or lows, depending on where you were at.
0: And I think it's important to know that we're talking about right now, if you're in a place of just dumpster fire and you're trying to find it, that all counts for that. If you're in a situation like Arden was recently where she started the uh, birth control pill, but she still but her settings were rock solid before then her all of her needs just increased like yeah. there's there's a concrete thing that happened it's not variance or you know what we alluded to you know when we started and never got back to which was when Kenny and I were looking at Arden's numbers way back at the beginning of the pandemic she was in her easy week So Arden has like three different weeks every month. She has an easy week where her blood sugar is super simple to take care of. Then she has sort of a premenstrual week where it's more difficult. It kind of ramps up and gets more difficult as her period approaches. And then as the period begins, it actually starts to get easier again. And then it gets easier and easier as the period progresses. And then it goes back into that easy week. Um, So we were in the easy week when we set it up and Kenny set up a single basal system which what do you think Henning? for five or six days it looked like Arden didn't have diabetes right
1: yeah i mean you had you had standard deviation in like the 20s you had super high time and range um you know i like i didn't i don't have that many weeks that are for that length of time that were that stable and that was that was pretty good and like we figured it out uh i mean we, we had to dial things back a little bit every day right and, and it, but it was, yeah, it was pretty solid. Super steady it was much different than the days you before when you were struggling. Oh my bit, God. So. But, it,
0: but it was super steady and super low. And, and before I get into this, I want to, I want to ask a question and I'll answer it as well. How frequently does your daughter's blood sugar out of nowhere, surprising to you, drop low? Drop low? Yeah. Oh, hardly ever. Yeah. Me
1: too. I, and I find that, when you have basal pretty steady and you trust and you've seen over time, especially with the precise loop data you get in terms of insulin on board, when you see a drop in like, like 3am, for example, it's, I mean, I, I don't even get out of bed if it's a 55, it won't go from 85 to 55 in two or three readings mm-hmm. unless she's laying on the sensor or something's wrong. It, it just doesn't happen. Um, so and I tried to explain it to people that once they have a good basal rate, good settings, um, those drops are not something you run and treat. Like maybe you finger stick, that's probably a good idea, but you're going to have much more consistency than you thought. Some people are struggling enough that they, the dumpster fire situation where they're used to seeing ups and downs so much that, um, yeah, but once you have good settings, there's, I mean, there's not, she doesn't just drop. Right. It isn't unless it's them. Usually when I'm struggling with the technology itself, it's not
0: it's not her blood sugar. Right. Right. I, I had to yell into the shower for my wife the other morning. We were up earlier and the kids are still sleeping. And I just yelled, she's not really 55. And I just kept walking yeah. through, the, you Yeah. Know, just so she doesn't worry yeah. when it beeps. Um, my wife doesn't wake up to the beeping. So um,
1: I roll over and look at the drop and look at her insulin on board on my phone and go, ah, I'm not worried about it. And yeah. then I go back to sleep and then if it beeps again, then I'll get up and check. Cause that means we're struggling with the sensor. It's yeah. what actually grandma's dealing with right now. We have my wife's 94 uh, year old grandmother living with us and she has type one diabetes and I have her looping. Um, and I, the sensor we put on a new sensor last night and it just ended up, it's reading low a bunch. So mm-hmm. um, we just had to go figure out if it was real or not, but it was, it's unusual for us to see those kinds of drops, unless it's the sensor kind of just having its
0: moment. I'm actually going to put a G6 on as soon as you and I are done. Um, awesome. Yeah, this is going to go up after the other one, so I can just say whatever I want here and then I'll get back to my thought. Uh, Kevin Sayer, I'm going to record with Kevin Sayer this afternoon. Uh, Kevin's going to talk about some things that Dexcom's doing. I'm going to kind of, in tandem, be wearing a G6 uh, to. Um, so people who listen to the podcast can see what a functioning pancreas looks like. I I pushed Dexcom to, to let me do that because I think it's going to be incredibly helpful for people who have stress about small rises and things like that, where they think if that line's not completely straight, that, you know, it's very unhealthy. When- it
1: It's very helpful. I mean, I've worn a sensor, um, you know, with a little bit of time left on my daughter's transmitter before. Yeah. Um, and, and I've had one of my, my oldest son, when my daughter was first diagnosed, wear one. Um, and just to kind of get an idea of like, what is normal? Like I'm a little overweight. So like, well, I'll check my son too. And his numbers were very close to mine. Like, you know, it's, it's comforting to see that, you know, you can hit like higher numbers, 130, 40, 50, very briefly. Um, then some of these patterns that you see, are real like they're not just something you're doing wrong so for example if i ate a bunch of ice cream right before i went to sleep i stayed higher for many hours longer than i would have if i had just stayed awake you know that growth hormone idea when you your body's doing its thing when you go to sleep your digestion's affected and all kinds of stuff's happening that will keep you higher i wasn't just making up that my daughter was shooting up out of nowhere it wasn't something i was gonna attack with basil it was it was variable based on the food and that she ate and how close to sleep she ate it. Um, cause I saw the same thing for me. And so now it's like, okay. And it's not, it's not unusual. It's not different. When other people are telling me you have to increase basal or whatever, they don't really know what they're talking about. Like this is what a normal pancreas would do for a, an eight year old or, um,
0: or someone who's older than that. So it doesn't really matter. Jenny said this recently that when you fall asleep, all your body functions slow down. Yeah. And I was like, everything's just different. Yeah. It's why you get heartburn if you eat something and then go to sleep because your body's mm-hmm. in the middle of processing the food. And suddenly you take the power away from it that it needs to process the food. And it's, yeah. it's and and just, you know, I'm sure that's not a very technical explanation of it, but um, yeah. So I, I just thought, You know, there are so many people listening to this podcast. It's just going to give a great opportunity for a lot of people to have that experience that would not normally have that experience. So I contacted Josh from SugarMate, who I didn't know previously, and he set me up so that I can live stream my blood sugar on my blog so that people can actually go right to it, watch it all, and put the foods that I'm eating so that people can see what happens. And, And then I thought, wow, what if after that, I took volunteers who were like, I'm really good at bolusing for pizza or I'm really good at doing this and let them kind of run like little, you know, basically showcases where they say, all right, I'm going to bolus this pizza here and you get to watch it if you want to. And then you can see where the insulin goes in so people can kind of have that experience. But, But back to just me wearing one without diabetes, it just really occurs to me that people need to see that because there are too many people freaking out about a 130 blood sugar that lasted for 45 minutes. Like, there are some people who put graphs up in my Facebook page and they're like, I don't know what I did wrong. And I look at it and I, I, I think they put the wrong graph up. I'm like, I don't see where you did anything wrong. You know, like it went to 130 and it came back down and it didn't get low. It looks pretty good, you know? How do I yeah, stop exactly. that? Yeah, how do I stop that from happening? I mean, will be more perfect, I guess, but that wasn't terrible. And right. And a lot of the things you're achieving with insulin are superhuman compared to what a pancreas would do
1: yeah the idea you know you get the people that are shooting for like an 80s blood sugar um they think that means all day every day and that's what would normally happen and i that's not really what would happen with a functioning pancreas either and you know some people have it's i found it useful for me because i put it on my son um, who kind of has a similar build so i'm assuming similar genetics to my daughter um and you know where does he fast overnight? Well, his fasting blood sugar is like in the 90s, not in the 80s. Mm-hmm. Uh, so his A1C, if I got it checked, is probably a little bit higher, probably in the high fours, low fives. So I don't think my daughter would normally be someone who would have a four and a half or a four A1C, like some people try to shoot for that are I think a little bit crazy. But some people would. My third child, he his blood sugar, whenever we tested, is always lower 70s and 80s so you know some people would and some people wouldn't have um, a certain number so i thought it was comforting for me to say oh i can keep my daughter's a1c you know like between five and five six so far um, that's probably where she would be without diabetes so that was comforting to me i don't need to try and push the envelope lower yeah. um i I have, I have no desire to do that because especially after watching my son like his average blood sugar was kind of in that that same range. So I'm like, okay, well, I'm, I'm doing
0: okay. Yeah. So. Yeah. Well, if, um, if people want to check it out, it's juiceboxpodcast.com forward slash CGM live. And whenever I have a volunteer, there'll be a live graph there. So yeah, it's pretty uh, cool. Yeah. I, I thought that that was a, a, a good use of it. And um, Dexcom has this pro it's, it's, t- you know, Dex the reason I have it is because Dexcom starting a program That I actually think they announced, they're announcing today um, that is called Hello Dexcom. And so you'll be able to go into a doctor's office if you had type 2 diabetes and just say, I'd like to try a Dexcom CGM. And they'll give you this little package that has a sensor, an applicator, and a transmitter in it. And you can try it for 10 days without a, just like that. That's wonderful. Yeah. So, um, you know, I was like, well, let me take advantage of that. I was like, can I get one of yeah, those? I have, a, I have an idea. My
1: <laughs> family members that are struggling with type two, and just started wearing like a Libre or something. And, um, when they see Tesla's gear and they understand that, like you get readings all the time and those benefits, they, they, they kind of want it, but it's hard for them to get started. So, and see and try to measure if the additional cost or whatever might be worth the the change. And I think being able to, try it out would be a big deal
0: yeah i also think that dexcom is going to make a pretty big push into the type 2 market so maybe that maybe they'll be able to get insurances to to cover and i agree my brother has type 2 and i wish i could get him a a cgm he definitely needs one um anyway give me give me one second before you get to your thought sure all the stuff we just talked about about basil and you know settings and everything it's why, and tell me if I'm wrong. When people say to me, um, during activity, my blood sugar falls all the time. i like, how am I ever going to get my blood sugar to stay up during, you know, my kids, you know, soccer game or something like that? And my the, my core answer, the thing I just want to say is, we'll get all your settings right, and your blood sugar won't fall when you're running around. Do you feel that that's true? I
1: feel that that's critical to you having a chance at getting it right. Um, so. Again, understanding what insulin on board is is critical, and it's really only super valuable if your basal right because then you know how much more insulin is in your body. What I find with exercise, uh, something I cover when I'm helping people, is exercise does a couple things, right? It slows down your digestion because all the blood flow goes out to your muscles instead of your stomach. Um, so what you were eating is no longer being processed as quickly so that insulin on board and the active carbs as represented in lube um, are going to be mismatched. Plus you're moving around. So that increases your sensitivity. So going into activity with insulin on board, you can kind of gauge like how much is too much based on the activity. That's the, more the art form of it. But, um, you know, if you have more than a, maybe one hour of basal equivalent insulin on board, going into some fairly intense activity, you're likely to drop, even if you have carbs on board. So what I do in loop is, is I will take any active carbs my daughter has especially if it's not planned (laughs) um i'll take the any kind of active carb entries i'll make them longer like go from three hour to four hour for example um and then i might even cut back some of those carbs or if i planned the activity ahead of time i would probably enter fewer carbs um for the meal prior to any activity because activity also consumes some carbs for energy. So it's going to eat up some of those um, as well as stretch out what we have. So I will, I will enter fewer carbs ahead of time. I'll stretch them out. And then if there's still a decent amount of insulin on board going into the activity, I'll maybe give a couple of carbs on unentered i'm not going to put them into loop um i might put one gram in as an entry just so i know hey that's where i gave the granola bar or something um and then if i miscalculate and she ends up high later i know which where to go in and add a couple more carbs in for that granola bar or whatever it is i gave her um and so it's just balancing that food and insulin but your your food impact slows down and the insulin's a little more effective but if you can enter with if you have really good basal settings and you can go into activity, you know, with zero insulin on board, like waking up in the morning and going for a run. I would tell you that with loop, you, you could set a higher correction range and you probably should when you're exercising, but you might not have to, like you could probably do a run at 90 and not worry about dropping. If your insulin on board is zero and your basal is right, especially with loop in case there is a little bit of a dip, it will pull it back. You might see a little bit of negative insulin on board and you might kind of stay flat. And then, once you stop running, loop will give you the extra insulin for that negative on board if you end up having a little bit. Right. But people can exercise pretty stable if you can, like I'm talking about, use the insulin on board to find your basal almost every time. And if it's too, if your basal is too much, even just by one click of the basal rate, um, it has a dramatic impact on activity. I actually just helped someone who's a CDE with her, I think, six or seven-year-old, having crashes at recess at school. And um, we simplified her the basal rates and mostly dropped the ones that were running during the day at school to match what was working overnight. And then she gave just a couple of carbs unentered and recess was fine. Like that was that was in less than 24 hours. That was after school in the afternoon, she was posting a message. We chit-chatted across Facebook overnight. And then by the next day, like, It was looking better. And she understood the mechanics after I explained what I just said, like what happens during activity. So yeah, I think with the right settings, you have a much better chance of not crashing during activity and being nicely in range and being able to perform your best.
0: Right. And settings means not just your basal, but your carb ratios, understanding the impact of the foods that you're using the correct amount of insulin at a meal so that you don't have a bunch of insulin left over after a meal and that's it. I I feel so badly. By the way, great job. That that's really cool. So you're telling me the kid's blood sugar wasn't just magically falling at 9:45 a.m. Uh, it was not. <laughs> how about that? The 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 uh, diabetes fairy was not tapping him on the shoulder or her on the shoulder as they were running around. Right. Um. I just I I feel badly when when I understand and it, it happens. It gets thrown in my face almost every day. Like how many people are just either struggling wildly with these fluctuations or almost as odd to me having success by mistake. Yeah. You know, like the people who use um, who are MDI, who use way too much basal insulin and just basically are feeding their lows at mealtimes before they happen. You ever, you, you, yep. you, you ever seen that? Like, like basically oh, yeah. every meal is do or die and it has to go in at a really certain time where they experience a low because they're, they've blanketed themselves with so much basal insulin that it's just a matter of time before they crash, but they can find a way to put the food in. And that to me seems absolutely just, I I would think that would take every ounce of energy out of me if I had to live that way. The two wrongs to
1: make a right or multiple wrongs to make a right. um, The chance goes up with something like, uh, like loop because you can have, your ISF off too. You have more settings to kind of mix together in the wrong way. Um, something that we'll maybe we'll talk about some other time because it takes a while. And I'm going to try and do, we have a, a YouTube page, that group of us um, have, it's called loop and learn on YouTube. Um, and then we have a Facebook group too, but I'm trying to put together some shorter videos on this instead of my long, <laughs> long presentations I've done before. But uh, ISF is, is critical um, in loop because it loop is tracking. When you enter a meal, I'll give the short version. When, when yeah. loop enter, when you enter a meal and you bolus for it based on the carb ratio, that's great. Uh, but then as soon as the meal progresses, loop is trying to track like how many of those carbs have shown up again, why it's important to have fat and protein in the mix is it's trying to see like, you told me this is a 30 gram meal. When are those 30 grams done? And, uh, it does that based on, your basil has to be right. Otherwise it might be hiding carbs or showing more carbs. If your basil is not right, it'll use the carb ratio. How much insulin have you given or how much insulin does it take to kind of counter what's happening, but it's also using ISF, how much your blood sugar is moving. And that concept a little bit hard to explain, but it's using ISF also as a measure for if your blood sugar goes up or down, how many carbs has it seen. And so as the meal progresses, once you, once it's seen 30 carbs, it thinks your meal is over. So, if your ISF is too low, let's say dramatically too low, and you enter 30 carbs, you bolus the full amount in loop, if you have it way off, it may be inside of an hour. Loop will say, Oh, I've seen all 30 carbs. Well, we all know there's not really anything, but maybe juice that you could have that's 30 grams that would be completely done affecting your blood sugar in an hour. Mm-hmm. But based on your settings, Loop has said, Oh, it's over now. Um, so it's probably thinking you're going to go low because you have all this insulin left over from your meal bolus, and the food's gone, so at least what it thinks is gone, and then you end up drifting high, so then what people will often do is they will lower their ISF more, thinking, oh, it's a sensitivity problem, and eventually they can kind of get it to where it's not awful because they have their ISF so low that the meals absorb in a radical amount of time, very short, but then it's low enough that loop can still correct that rise, because it thinks your sensitivity is so low it'll give more insulin to kind of keep that that rise from happening even though Loop is saying your meal was over in an hour or hour and a half and that's not really realistic mm-hmm. um so it, it, you can end up with two wrongs make it right in that situation yeah. same with having your basal too high to compensate for maybe not enough carb ratio um that can help for most of the day it can kind of be okay if you had isf too low basal too high and carb ratio too weak you can sometimes get a balance where you know most meals are like okay but you're not really seeing the success you'd like to see and consistency that you'd like to see mm. so it's too many there's more levers to mix up now
0: <laughs> can you put into words for me what you look at when you're adjusting someone's basal insulin on loop sure yeah um we don't usually think about that meter that we use right i know for us Arden's doctor just gave it to us I walked around with it for years, used it all the time, counted on it, and never once asked myself, is there a meter that's more accurate than this? Is the one I'm using even accurate at all? And then I checked into it. And when I did, I immediately went to the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. Eventually, they became sponsors, and here I am today talking about them. Go to ContourNext.com forward slash box to learn all about the Contour Next One meter the strip programs that they have, and you may even be eligible for a free meter. There's a lot to learn on the webpage. Really good stuff there. I love the meter because it's easy to use and even easier to use in the dark. It's simple for Arden to carry, and the test strips allow for a second chance test without interfering with accuracy. So that means you hit some blood, don't get enough, you can go back and get more and still get a great test. I'm telling you this meter is absolutely terrific. This stuff is completely inexpensive, and there's just no excuse to be carrying around a janky old busted-up meter that you never even looked into when you can have the Contour next one. g Hypopen has no visible needle and is the first pre-mixed auto-injector of glucagon for very low blood sugar in adults and kids with diabetes ages 2 and above. Not only is g Hypopen simple to administer, but it's simple to learn more about. All you have to do is go to gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juice box. G-Voke shouldn't be used in patients with insulinoma or pheochromocytoma. Visit gvokeglucagon.com slash risk. Can you put in words for me what you look at? when you're adjusting someone's basal insulin on loop?
1: I kind of created like a, a quick four-step process, but there's a lot buried into each one of those steps. Um, so first thing is always Kenny, do you, have a quick,
0: at, do you have a quick four-step process that has 75 substeps? Right, yeah, <laughs> it's something like that.
1: Um, and once you understand how it all works, it's, it, I kind of just do it without thinking. But essentially it's, I look at their settings, so profile editor in Night Scout will tell you what their settings are. Um, and then when I go look at basal. So we'll scroll back in scout the first 24 hours. Um, and you can also run this report in Night Scout called a day-to-day report. Mm-hmm. But you have to check the IOB box so you can see what's the IOB that loops reporting all day long. And I'll look for negative insulin on board. If I can find some um, and see that they're dropping when that's happening, then we know it's a basal problem. So then we'll try to like estimate what the basal rate should be if they have multiple rates um, we'll kind of take an average of that time frame where we saw that situation occur. Um, and we'll pick a number in there. If we're really not sure, you can just take all your basal rates and look at your total amount of insulin and just take the average for the whole day and start there. But we always, always check basal, um, using the insulin on board. So I check for negative insulin on board, adjust basal. And then if you check the COB box in the day-to-day report, or you like, hover over that loop pill in night scout obsessively (laughs) after meals, (laughs) you can kind of see how many carbs loop is reporting back um, at a given time frame. And so if meals look like the carbs on board is just happening really quickly, um, like the meals are being sucked up and absorbed very fast, uh, but blood sugar is still higher, then most likely you start with needing more insulin. So we'll usually adjust the carb ratio to be more aggressive in that case. If you're seeing lows at the beginning, then we'll um, weaken the carb ratio. But again, this all depends on how much we just changed basal um, during the day. So we might have to let it play out first and then adjust. Um, And then I also look at ISF. Um, My rule that I have that seems to work pretty well is one to, you know, maybe two basal rates. But we start with one. And then IS your carb ratio should be pretty close to the same, like breakfast and Lunch and dinner, like maybe breakfast will be a little stronger and dinner could be a little bit weaker. But I mean, really, they should be fairly close for most people unless they are fighting significant um, morning rise situations that you've covered in the right. other um, podcasts. And then uh, ISF should be, you should have, it's easier to just dial in your settings if you have one ISF that covers your whole meal times. Anytime you could be entering carbs. So kind of wake up to go to sleep, one ISF. And then I tend to encourage people, what I find works, is to have a couple of blocks of ISFs overnight, um, maybe like in two- or three-hour blocks. And the strongest or lowest ISF setting will probably be right after you go to sleep. And then it could get weaker every couple hours um, until you wake up, and then you have that that weak one. Now, some people don't need that, but that's kind of like a, a starting place is just make a couple of ISF blocks. So uh, we do that, and then... The last one is pretty much like like we talked about at the beginning, um, fat and protein. Like you have to have some representation of fat and protein in um, and then, you know, in your carbs. And then you also have to make sure that you're using like I noticed you were doing these last couple of weeks is mostly just using the three hour absorption time. I, I used to when we started um, use the two hour Absorption time thinking, Oh, a bigger spike at loop sees a bigger spike. It'll give me more insulin. Um, I want to be bold with insulin. So I want to give more upfront, but you find out that, uh, a lot of foods last a little bit longer than that. Mm -hmm. Um, and so you, you need that three hour time is really good for most things. And because I talked about how carbs absorb as you go, in theory, you could have a five or a 10 hour absorption time on your meal. And if it was really, uh, you know, an apple that was done in an hour or two, um, in about two hours, Loop will see all those carbs in two hours and you'll be fine. So you could have a longer absorption time and get in less trouble um, than if you had too short and then all of a sudden there's still carbs around, but Loop thinks, well, you said it was only two hours long and it's lasting four, then it's not going to try and help you anymore because it thinks, well, that carb entry has timed out. So yeah. Yeah. Basal carb ratios, a couple of ISF blocks, mostly one during the day, and then adding fat and protein in for um, for for that stuff. And then the last kind of pro tip one is more like a what I call being bold with loop would be super bolusing. Like it's okay to manually bolus if something's not going right. And if you're starting a meal and you think it's going to be kind of spiky, it's okay to give a little bit more upfront with a meal. Like yeah. for cereal – um, I'll give a pre-bolus, and then I'll give, And once she starts to sit down to eat, uh, I'll give about three hours equivalent of her basal, because I figure that food will last three to four hours. So I'll give her all three hours of her basal insulin right now as a bolus as she starts eating. Loop turns off the basal for those three hours, and she ends up having a pretty steady line through the whole thing. So, so you,
0: you put that yeah. basal in and then let the loop backwards manage. Exactly. Yeah.
1: Cause it's not going to be bold for you. It's not, it doesn't care if you're going to go, if you're predicted to go to two fifty, as long as you're going to come back down where you're supposed to come down. So, um, I've just come to be okay with saying, you know what? I know a little bit better than loop in this situation. So we'll be a team. We'll work together. I'll give the insulin. I think she needs now to fight that high glycemic food, Mm -hmm. that initial spike, the carb count's still right. It's just how fast and hard it's going to hit. So I'm going to hit back, and I'll let Loop kind of balance it. Now The risk is that you have to keep her Riley link near her, <laughs> so that that keeps working, and the whole system has to stay functioning. But I know I did it, and so if something went wrong, I know what to do to fix it. So yeah. um, you just made those it. are kind of the things I i'll step people through over a period of a day or two
0: yeah you you just made me think of like i'm always like how do you walk away from this thing after pancakes but stay with it after a salad like like i need the yeah. connectivity right now like we need to co- stay with the i thing. know <laughs> killing me <laughs> but that's the where the horizon stuff will be nice where you can yeah. just stay connected but. no kidding um hey um couple things First of all, there's a pro tip I did with Jenny Smith. It's episode 263. It's called Diabetes Pro Tip, Fat and Protein. If all this fat and protein talk has rattled your brain a little bit, uh, Jenny and I kind of simplify why fat and protein are important in episode 263. And I want to say that what Kenny was just talking about, putting in, you know, to kind of be bold and crush some sort of a number if you have to, you can't just put in, You know, you can't look at a 160 blood sugar and know that a unit would make it 90 and put in just a unit because then loop believes that it has too much insulin. It takes away your basal. So you're basically there just trading the basal for the bolus and you're not Mm -hmm. affecting the number. I used to just open the loop up. So basically put the, you know, make it impossible for the loop to turn off the basal and then correct until the last time you and I spoke and you were like, listen, you can just you can just over bolus this whole thing. And that way, even when it takes the basil away, you've still replaced it. You still win. Yeah, Yeah. (laughs) and and that works terrifically. It's nice because you don't have to remember to
1: close loop again. That's that's the biggest hassle is you can't just remotely open and close it. So, yeah, that's that's a big deal. Um, And the other, you know, something that I hope people try to pick up as they go into loop, and you can balance how much time you end up spending on it. But when when you're high, just like when you are using an MDI or pump or whatever. It doesn't really matter. If you can try and figure out why, again, once you get that stability and you figure out your basil, is it it's most of the time it's the food to blame, right? It's you didn't, you underestimated the carbs or the fat and the protein. And so you just need more insulin. And if that's the case, you can go back into loop and either add carbs like you did yesterday, mm-hmm. or you can edit the current carb entry and just add some more carbs to that. Or maybe you need to make it longer. Maybe it was a three hour entry. It needs to be a four because of the fat and protein. Um, you can do those kinds of things and and fix the situation if you can figure out what's wrong. If you can't figure out what's wrong, that's where you need to kind of guess as to how much more maybe to give as a correction bolus. That's the way I do it. And let Loop kind of just take the basil away and then we'll kind of find a happy medium at some point. Like sometimes it's more than a couple hours of basil. Sometimes there's four or five hours of basil oh, uh, because I know another meal's coming. Same thing I would do on MDI. Like if she was, 160 and didn't seem like she was coming down, but we know we're going to eat in an hour or two. Then I'll just give most of what I think she'll need for dinner, for example, now in the afternoon. And then whatever insulin on board is present when you start the meal, you can say, okay, well that's not her carb ratio. She needs a little bit more because we've used up some of that insulin on board, mm-hmm. but you can check the insulin on board right before a meal. But with Loop, it's doing that for you. You've bolus manually. It turned off the basil And then when you go to enter carbs for dinner, it's like, oh, uh, you need more still. I took away too much. But it didn't know about the carbs. So people freak out when they manually bolus or if they were to manually bolus um, a high. And I just call it an early pre-bolus for whatever's next. It it freaks out because the the prediction shows such a low number, maybe like a negative 150 or something. Um, But that's not that scary because you know you're going to be entering carbs in an hour when you're going to eat, and that number will come right back
0: up. It's funny you bring that up because what I was going to say is I think I did my first episode about looping back in April of 2019. You and I are talking in December of 2020. And for the first at least six months, I felt like I was fighting with it the entire time. And right now I can tell you that I feel like I use loop as well as I use the other, you know, the bolt with insulin system, if we're going to call it something that I talk about on the podcast. I can do either of those things equally well at this point. And to uh, prove it, I will tell you about Thanksgiving morning, which will roll into what you just said. So on Thanksgiving morning, my family has a, um, my wife's family had this uh, tradition of eating these cinnamon rolls in the morning. And I'm not talking about their mom was not some master baker. They were buying like, you know, those, really crappy cinnamon rolls that come in the, like the cardboard tube and you just dump icing on top of them so my wife buys them because I think it makes her feel like she's eight years old and should we have them on some holidays I figured out how to bolse for them they're no problem so Arden's upstairs getting dressed the cinnamon rolls are in the oven and I give her a text I'm like hey we're gonna bowl for the cinnamon rolls now and I gave her a number well she responds back I can't I'm like I don't know what that means like what does I can't mean you know and and so I'm like just bolus this. And what I thought when she said I can't, I thought maybe it didn't want to give her the insulin. Like, I don't know. I was cooking. You know what I mean? For for Thanksgiving, Kenny. So I wasn't really paying much attention to anything. So I was just like, just manually put it in. Like, tell it to manually bolus seven carbs. And a little more time passes. You know, and while we're having this exchange in, you know, on text messages, time is passing. And as time is passing, the muffins or the cinnamon rolls are baking. And then she finally says, No, I don't have enough insulin. This pump is empty. I can't. And I was like, Oh, geez. I was like, All right, well, bolus as much of it as there's left in the pump and then get down here and we'll switch. And I thought I did a good job at the pod, like with a pod change. But I'm telling you, she's eating this cinnamon roll that was just, it must have had 60 carbs in it. You know what I mean? Um, And for the first hour, I was, I had it. Her blood sugar wasn't moving, everything was great, then all of a sudden it jumped and we had the highest blood sugar we've had in forever. It must have been close to like 280. With dinner coming in a couple of hours and I just I turned that 280 back into a 90 for and I didn't even think twice about it. I was just like, here's what we're going to do. We're going to go back to manual, open the loop up, bolus this much. I'm basically going to put you into a nose dive and we're going to pull it up with dinner. And it's exactly what we did. It worked phenomenally, and that on Thanksgiving was the time I thought I really do understand all this now, because I closed that loop back up, went right back into loop, and her blood sugar never went up from there. Yeah, I mean that's
1: it's a. Uh, I was trying to actually explain that same concept to my to Tessa's endo yeah. uh, just last week. Is just yeah. I mean if you're high, bullets for the next thing coming, and create that nose dive and put the food in at the right time, and you're okay, and then it works. Not looping, and it works looping. And then with looping, you may have to give a little bit more, or you might be a little bit more patient because if you do it manually, if you didn't open the loop, then um, then loop's going to pull the uh, basal back, right. which is fine. It might just take us to take a little bit longer to create that nosedive, or you may just need to give a little bit more. But in either case, the beauty of it that is easier for people to access, um, being that bold. Is that loops done the math for the most part? So when you go in to enter the carbs, it'll tell you how much more or less you might need. So yeah. if it recommends zero or whatever it is, that might be okay. But you'll you don't have to worry about well how much is left and how much do they really need and how many carbs did I give earlier? You don't have to track all that math. The math is in the system. So but you can but
0: you have to create the nose dive. Loops not going to do it. Right. Um, so I put so her into the dive and did exactly what you said. Close the loop up before the meal and then put in the carbs. I was still I was still pre bolusing in my mind. You know, I put in the amount of carbs that I thought she was gonna eat about 15 minutes before, even though she was dropping. And then loop It was just like, Well, I'm only I only want like a unit right now. And I was like, Go tell it to bolus. So she's like 130 and she's falling, and it wanted a unit. I was like, it must feel pretty comfortable that she's gonna stop. So I'm like, okay, put in the unit closed it up. And then as she was eating and she leveled out, I said, hey, check for suggested insulin. And there was a bunch of suggested insulin. I said, go ahead and put that in now. And then that was it. So it was a kind of a hybrid. I used the loop and I used what I knew from before it. Um, yeah,
1: you, you have to be willing to accept the fact that you can know more than loop sometimes. And sometimes you'll find out that, you know, what you entered plays out and what was in the prediction was actually more accurate than you care to admit yeah. um, that they were going to in fact come down in another 20 or 30 minutes on their own. You didn't need to give them an extra unit manually, but um, but you you sometimes need to know better than loop because for example, with food when your settings and everything else, if you don't put enough in, you're going to be high. If you know the food is spikier, it's going to hit sooner. Mm-hmm. Loop only has one model for carbs. It just assumes all carb entries are going to impact your blood sugar in the same way in the same timing. So you have to know if it's a, if you need more upfront, like super bolusing, or you expect a spike and you need to give insulin anyways, even though it doesn't suggest any, Mm -hmm. or you need to give less because it's a slower meal. You, you may have to still know just, just enough to be a little bit smarter than loop. Um, And then you can work together when you know where its shortcomings are.
0: Can I ask you one last question before I let you go? How much of all this that you know, and now I know and other people know about using loop which you know is is quite a steep learning curve how much of it's going to apply to control iq or omnipod horizon or or some of the other or i'm sure medtronic will have one at some point that people will like uh and and um you know how much of this knowledge will translate out to those retail systems
1: Yeah, so we have a, on the Loop and Learn YouTube, uh, we had a a recorded meeting with someone, I forget uh, their name, but they're really deep into this um, closed loop predictive stuff. Um, And he walked through the different kind of methods for building these closed loop systems, the approaches. Mm -hmm. And uh, loop is more of a, what they call predictive model, uh, where it's basically you tell it everything and it's trying to predict out what's going to happen over the next six hours. And some of these other systems have, they like to take a hybrid approach where they're a little bit predictive based on what you've told it. And then in other areas, it tries to do its own calculation, like risk analysis, if it can give you more or less. And so um, control IQ and horizon both. And we just had an interview with um, someone at Omnipod that talked about the one that's kind of been the VP over um, horizon that's done all the clinical trials. And she talked about how it worked a little bit, um, and so the systems that try to do their own learning, I'm not a big fan of because I don't feel like they're not going to show you behind the curtain and you're not really going to understand what's happening. Mm-hmm. Uh, but they're, they're mostly, Control IQ and Horizon both seem to heavily rely on the total daily dose that it either sees or that you give it to start with more than your settings. Uh, Control IQ uses your settings as a starting point. I think Horizon does as well, and um, I don't know for sure, but I think Control IQ leverages those settings uh, pretty, like it uses it a fair amount. But at some point, after a few days in or weeks in, um, the system will use more of what it's seen and your total daily dose that you're getting as its guide for how much it can give to correct and suspend and all of that. Um, and you pretty much are setting your carb ratio. So that's important to set your carb ratio, but it's not necessarily totally relying on your sensitivity and basal as much as you'd like, but those basal settings and all that stuff will kick in, in a open loop situation where the Dexcom's not giving you readings or something where it can't do its thing. That's its fallback. So it's still important to make sure that those settings are tested every once in a while. But um Not as much as I would like, I guess, is my answer, but they still use it. Um, And so that's my concern about the upcoming commercial systems is they're going to be better for most people because most people are not listening to this podcast or looping and understanding insulin and how to use it. And so they're making these systems to basically handle bad settings from doctors and people and just trying to take it over as best they can um, and learn you. But the downside of that is that you can't be as precise. And if you end up being sick or you have hormone swings um, or other situations where your needs overall, you're going to be using more or less in a significant way, um, those systems will take days to catch up with you. Um, And so you'll probably be like she mentioned, the lady mentioned with the uh, horizon interview is you just have to make your carb ratio lower and bolus a little bit more, mm-hmm. change your correction factor and, um, and just manually bolus until it figures you out. So it'll use some of our settings. And I think the principles and understanding that we know about insulin will still be useful, but if they're trying to make something that you can mostly just enter carbs and walk away from it and achieve a moderate A1C and time and range right. and not go low.
0: I do think it's going to be amazing for most people, honestly. Oh, yeah.
1: I yeah. mean, you're going to get people that, you know, a one cs is in 7, eight, nine and more, or there's highly variable, and it's going to stabilize them quite a bit. I mean, you can see the data from the Horizon clinical trials that she was able to share. There'll be more as they publish. Um, and same with Control IQ, that they they achieve pretty good results. I mean, it's it, we would love it if you could lower the targets and take a little more risk of, Potential hypos. I think some of us would prefer that, but um, they're doing really good work. Uh, All all the closed loop systems so far that I've seen other than, you know, the older Medtronic one is doing really well in that regard.
0: Yeah, I mean, you're trying to, you have to think of the bigger picture. You're trying to reach the masses of people with with, um, type one and give them all successes that'll lead to long life like it really is what you're shooting for right is yeah. to make their day-to-days easier and make their life longer and healthier and they're definitely I listen I sent an email I'm I'm I don't know how you got Dr. Lie. I, I I've been trying to get trying lie on the show for a while I don't get anybody response your Facebook page you have know, to talk to Joanne <laughs> <your> Facebook page <laughs> is swinging a pretty big uh you know what I mean over there and so um I, I don't know I might ask the wrong person <laughs> Uh but anyway, that's uh that's pretty much how I've thought about it too. And um and I definitely want to tr- listen, Horizon's got the algorithm built into the circuit board, which means you don't have to have any connectivity to your phone for the algorithm to run um moment to moment. Just to
1: bolus right. and Just,
0: to set change settings. Right. Yep. And it's that, wonderful. And that is absolutely huge. Um so I would like that. I'm going to be honest. If
1: I could push the loop algorithm onto the pod, and then I, I'd be much happier.
0: <laughs> but like you could sneak we'll into see. there, sneak into OmniPod up there in Boston, and and make yourself yeah. a couple. You should see <laughs> Kenny. I've seen their production facility. It's automated and it's stunning. It looks like it's out of the future. It's absolutely amazing. Um, trust me. If you snuck in there, you just get wide eyed and go, "Holy God, this is crazy!" <laughs> and then, and, then, and uh. You definitely would not figure out how to do what you wanted to do <laughs> but, but, it's, <laughs> but it's really cool I, I hope to see it again one day really i actually trying to interview the guy who set the whole floor up because he i think he might be brilliant um he's a, just a manufacturing guy i think they got him from pepsi i think he used to set up the uh the manufacturing floors for pepsi cola and that's intense I stuff th- yeah i think that's who i i i gotta try harder for him actually i'm gonna get him in 2021 he's just an interesting person i met him once Anyway, all right, well, l- let me let you get back to your life and tell you thank you very much for doing this. I hope you have a Merry Christmas and a Happy New Year. This is going to come out uh, in December very soon, and um, I just really appreciate you giving so much time and-, and sharing so much of what you've learned about Loop. It's uh, it really been valuable for me and for a lot of people who are listening.
1: Thanks, and for all those juice boxers out there, you know, feel free to practice with that Super bowl as you come up on holiday meals, depending on how the holidays look for you. Yeah, get a little
0: bold with Loop, right? Yeah. All right. Did you just name the episode a little while ago, Kenny? You might have. You knocked your name right off the episode. Good job. <laughs> this was going to be something, you know, uh, cutesy about Fox. And instead, I'm calling it Bold with Loop. I guess you could do Fox and the Loop House three, Bold with Loop, but that's yeah. a long title. Yeah, it's, it's not a Schwarzenegger film.
1: <laughs> but you got to be able to find all of them, right? So.
0: Yeah, I see. I got to keep it together. You're right. All right, Kenny. All right.
1: Uh, Bold with Loop, that's kind of what I've been, I've made like a little like, I don't know, in my mind, my little catchphrase that I've been trying to share with people sometimes that listen to the podcast, The Loop, you know?
0: Yeah. No, I listen. I. I tell people all the time, and it's absolutely true. I have a mantra: it's, it's. I'd rather stop a lower, falling blood sugar than fight with a high one. That's I yeah. go into every day with diabetes thinking about that.
1: And it's about finding a way to become a team with Loop rather than feel like you're fighting it. You know,
0: yeah. I'm there. I have to be honest. I want to thank Gina who forced me to do this a year and a half or more ago, and you who've come on and talked about, it, and all the other Loop users who came on to help me work through it, and Katie for coming on and explaining what Loop was. I just, um, it's been a a process and I think we've been able to pull a lot of other people along with us. So, um, and I hope for everyone else, they're hearing the value of, of algorithm based pumping. I think it's, uh, I think it's going to change everybody's life and 2021 is going to, I think it's going to really explode for people at type one. It's exciting. I'd like to sincerely thank Kenny and all the people who've been on the show over the last year and a half for helping me understand the Loop DYI algorithm better. And I do really hope that all of you listening understand that as these algorithms become more and more available in retail pumps, it's going to be life-changing. Thanks also to the Contour Next One blood glucose meter. You can check them out at Contour Next com forward slash juicebox, and of course the T1D Exchange can be found at t one dexchangeorg forward slash juicebox. I'd also like to say a huge thank you to one of today's sponsors, Gvoke Glucagon. Find out more about Gvoke Hypopen at gvokeglucagon.com forward slash juicebox. You spell that G V O K E. G-L-U-C-A-G-O-N dot com forward slash juice box. At this point, there are a lot of series within the podcast. I mentioned at the beginning, and I'd like to mention again, the algorithm pumping series, which goes episode 227, 252, 304, 312, 313, 326, and of course, this episode, 420. But I'd also like to tell you about the After Dark series, 274 about drinking with type 1, 283 about weed smoking, 305 about trauma and addiction, 319 about having sex with type 1 diabetes from the female perspective, episode 336 is about depression and self-harm, episode 365 is sex again, but this time from the male perspective, episode 372 talks about co-parenting and divorce. Episode 384, Bipolar Disorder. Episode 393, Bulimia and Depression. And episode 399, a T1 who was addicted to heroin. I really think these series within the podcast are incredibly valuable. Don't forget to also look for the Pro Tip episodes that begin at episode 210. And of course, sprinkled throughout, Defining Diabetes. Short episodes that take everyday diabetes terms and put them into easy-to-understand Definitions. And they're not just definitions, but Jenny Smith and I talk them through. And if you don't know Jenny, you really have to find those defining diabetes pro tip episodes and even the Ask Scott and Jenny. Thanks so much for listening. As the sixth season of the Juice Box podcast winds to a close, I find myself really looking back and reflecting. And I'm just very grateful for everyone listening, for all the hard work you do, sharing the show, and for this connection that we've built. I'll be back soon with another episode.